0: Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We are one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this message with others or click on the give link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
1: this morning, I surrender.
0: How are you, church? You good? Hey, wasn't that good? Um, it's good to be together. I, I was praying on my drive up from Starbucks where I got a free drink this morning, just complimentary on the house. That was a good morning. Um, I was just praying for the churches on 124, just asking that God would uh, make a holy disruption and what their plans were this morning. I didn't pray that for our church. Um, But I guess God wanted to do something this morning. And so if you're new to the vine, those don't happen frequently, but we welcome them just to say, God, we want to do what you want us to do. And if I haven't met you before, my name is David Walters, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here, and uh, it is awesome privilege to be able to start this series with you called Fixer Upper. Um, the day after the Rose Bowl, go dogs! I um, have to go back to the Rose Bowl, not the National Championship game. Um, the day after, it was, it was Tuesday, uh, Braden said, Dad, is there any football on tonight? And I go, no son. But then it hit me but Fixer Upper's on tonight, and and normally that would feel like I was kind of trading in my man card for that, but in every episode of Fixer Upper, there's a demolition day, and there's also power tools used, and so um, I didn't feel like that was too much of a a man card moment where I had to turn that in, Um, and if those of you are here that uh, have been living under a rock, Fixer Upper is one of the most popular TV shows that's out there right now. It's on HGTV, and it highlights a couple, uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and we've got a picture of them. Uh, If you have seen that. Now Chip's um, current picture has a little bit more of a beard to it, and a lot of you have been wondering kind of what I'm doing on my face. Uh, Part of it is I just get bored looking at myself, and so every once in a while I need to experiment with things. And you might have thought it had something to do with No Shave November, or Don't Shave December, or Manuary, not January, but it really has everything to do with this series. I was just trying to get my Chip gains going on for this series, so um, that doesn't necessarily mean it will come off after this series is over, I'm just saying. So Chip and Joanna Gaines, uh, they are from way Texas, if you don't know their story, Uh, they kind of hit it big with uh, two businesses, although they've got a number of businesses, and those were in the area of real estate and then reconstruction or um, construction where Joanna would come in and she would do some design work, and then Chip would come in with that demo day, and then he'd break up those power tools and his humor, and he would come in and he would do all of the construction. Joanna would put finishing touches on everything, and and then they would reveal a new home to people. Um, Chip and Joanna uh, took a break from their initial business, and then in the process of kind of doing some other work, uh, got discovered by HGTV to where they came along and they said, Hey, we want you to do a show. And we want to show this show to everyone, and they've been doing that since 2013. Um, They have established one of the most popular brands in America over that time uh, with their Magnolia and all that the Magnolias come along with it. Uh, They have now started, or at least Joanna has started, I don't think Chip has a clothing line, but Joanna has a clothing line now that is starting to become branded um, herself in Target stores. Uh, They are in their fifth And final season, everybody say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Some of y'all are feeling that way with every episode you're counting down and uh, getting upset about that. They are pregnant with their fifth and perceivably final child in the process of being in their fifth and final season. And they are also worth a very small fortune uh, where they are estimated to be worth over $16 million together. And that does not include the new clothing line from Joanna. Now, this hit um, show that they've got, Fixer Upper, that you're probably pretty familiar with, every episode follows the same pattern. And and here's how it starts. They take a person or a couple, typically a couple. They'll uh, give them a couple of options of homes to choose from. Each of them have kind of a creative name that Chip has given the homes. They'll select a home, and then they begin with Demo Day. Demo Day is where Chip comes in, and he does what every guy absolutely loves to do. I even got to break out my chainsaw on Friday. It was the best day of the week, you know? Um, Demo Day. Then they start the reconstruction process where they take Joanna's creative design, put it into place. Then kind of the last part of the show is where they... They put on finishing touches, those last kind of touches that put this design over the top, and then there's the big reveal, where they kind of blow up a picture of the old looking house, they cut it in half, put it on wheels, and then they open up so that you could see the new house, and everybody's reaction is the same. What is that? The woman cries. I mean, it's inevitable. The woman cries. They celebrate this house, and they're in awe of that, and then they conclude with the statement, welcome home. Welcome home. And then at the end of the episode, anybody that's been watching it, we kind of cry a little bit because we want to be best friends with Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? And we want them to redesign our house too. And so that's the normal process for every episode. We're kicking off a series today called Fixer Upper. If you haven't been paying attention to our opening song or the graphic that's been up there, and in this series, We're going to try to attempt to restore marriages in the way that God wants to restore them. Now, I want to say this to everybody that's here, whether you're married or not. Um, We have felt in our press of prayer leading up to this series that this will be a series that not only brings restoration to marriages, but restoration to other aspects of life. Maybe you've already started to feel God's presence bringing restoration in certain areas. We prayed over restoration for depression or for anxiety, for addiction, for for habitual sin. uh, There would be some restoration that comes in your life for that. But one of the areas of greatest need for restoration culturally and in the church, is the area of marriage. We need to work on restoring marriage into the way that God has designed and meant it to be. Um, When we take a look at the number one pastoral care issue that we experience as staff and as pastors, it's marriage. I polled our staff last year on kind of some things that maybe would help form through prayer. Our preaching calendar for this year and the number one practical issue that people wrote down on our staff was marriage. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on fixing up marriages. At the same time that we do that, what we want to say is that we're all a restoration project. We're all in need of fixing up. Would you agree with that? Yeah. If you don't agree with that, you might be in the wrong place. I'm just kidding. You're not in the wrong place, but but we're all in need of being fixed up. In fact, Rick Warren has a famous comment that says, we're all recovering from something. And so as we seek this restoration in marriages, we're also seeking restoration, recovery for all of us, whatever that area is. And over the next uh, couple of weeks, next two weeks, including this week, we're going we're gonna to spend kind of following that pattern of the Fixer Upper show. Where today what we're going to do is we're going to present two kind of designs for you to choose from. Uh, we, we didn't give them like creative humorous names like Chip. But, but we've got two designs to choose from. Then next week, we're going to have a demo day. That's going to be really fun. We're going to take a look at the three most common areas of destruction in marriages that distract marriages from being what God intends them to be. So we'll have demo day and reconstruction next week. And then the final week of this series, the last week of February, we'll talk about those finishing touches that we can put on God's design that will make this marriage be what God desires it to be. And we'll have the reveal. So we want you to hang with us in that. So when it comes to the two options that we have to present to you today, the first one is the world's house. The world's house. Not, not too creative, is it? Uh, the world's house kind of has a couple of patterns that, that kind of looks like some design templates, if you will. Uh, the first one is that, that, that the world's house, when it comes to marriage, focuses on wedding day but not the marriage. So there's a lot of buildup that goes into wedding day. There's a lot of money that goes into wedding day to the to the flowers and to the dresses and to the celebration afterwards, whether you're going to get three shrimp for every person that comes to the reception other other things. There's a lot of time, attention, money that goes into wedding day, but not marriage. And then what you find is that there's focus over the years that changes from from the marriage itself to the family, to the kids specifically, and so then the family center becomes kids activities instead of spousal activities, where you start to have more daddy-daughter dates than you do daddy-mommy dates. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Ronnie Brasfield who is our go-to uh, referral when it comes to couples counseling in our church. I've said this before. It, we asked him this question. We said, hey, um, how many people come to you and have a regular date night? And he said, no one. He said, not one couple that comes to me with marriage problems has a regular date night. We shift the focus from from spousal activities to to kids' activities. We shift the focus from spouse to to self, where we get focused on our needs, our wants, and not the other person's needs. And then the result could be that you have an unsatisfactory and fulfilled marriage, possibly that has some finality to it in the, in the term divorce, um, where 40 per, 41% of first marriages end in divorce, don't make it past year eight, where their um, second marriages or third marriages have a higher rate of divorce. Uh, to the tune of where all marriages, and we've heard this stat; it's been used a lot. About fifty percent of all marriages end in divorce. So that's kind of that's kind of the the world's house, if you will. And then the then the other house, if if you want to give it a term and a title, is the word of God's house. All right. Uh, so again, not too creative there, um, but both of them have W. So it should be able to you should be able to remember that right? the world's house and then the the word of God's house, right? There's, there's God's design for marriage. There's God's design for marriage where we take focus off of wedding day and we put it on marriage. Beyond like a moment and we put it on a lifetime where we don't get so focused on, on this moment where there's a dress and where there's a, um, a party, but we, we get focused on the end game, the last days, the legacy, what the picture of the the old days will look like where we're sitting on the front porch in rocking chairs sipping lemonade. Maybe lemonade and sweet tea because we're from the South. We're focused on on the old days, not, not the early days. Where we keep focus on spousal activities, not kids' activities. Where we keep the focus on our spouse not ourself and where we keep our focus on God's purpose for marriage and i bet most of us when it comes down to to articulating like God's purpose for marriage we might not be able to have a response like if i said hey what What's God's purpose for marriage? Most of us probably wouldn't be able to have a response. And and to be honest with you, I I wouldn't have been able to articulate that either if it hadn't come down to the fact that I was a pastor and occasionally we have a series about every two years where we focus on marriage. I might not be able to have a response to that either. But when you take a look at the Word of God and when you take a look at God's picture for marriage, there's a clear purpose behind it. And we're going to talk about that purpose today so that you and I, we get to choose what kind of house we want, what kind of design we want for our marriages. Now, before we get to that picture, I just want to have kind of like a, a disclaimer. I, I want to speak to some, cert, some certain people that are in the room. I want to speak to our students. I, I want to speak to any of our singles that are here. I want to speak to any of our singles again. And I want to just say, hey, we welcome you. We value you. We know you and we appreciate you. Um, this is a, a series in the midst of a number of series that we'll have this year in the, in, a, in the midst of a number of series that we have in the context of our church over the years. And if you hang out with us long enough, you'll have a series that is designed specifically for you. In fact, in our not-so-distant past, we had a, a whole series devoted for singles and singles again and what life looks like in the kingdom of God when it comes to being single. Students, uh, one of the things that I know is that... Um, Probably uh, some of our, our female students that are here, you, you've been, you already started planning your wedding day. You've already started thinking about that man of your dreams. Some of the, the guys, including my son, who will be at the 11 o'clock service, and I won't embarrass him there, but I'll do it now. Like, he has, like, no desire whatsoever right now. And I'm like, hey, things are going to change. You're in sixth grade, but by eighth grade, I know things are going to change for you, buddy. You know, so, so like, he has no, but, but you guys have been thinking about this. And the truth is that nine out of ten people will get married. And that includes those of you that are a little bit further along in life, a little bit more advanced, but you're still in kind of that status of being single. There's still that stat that nine out of ten people are going to get married. And so if you're single and God hasn't given you a peace or a sense that maybe God's calling you to a life of singleness, then then I just want maybe, and, and maybe you've forgotten about that kind of hope and that dream, I just want maybe God to restore that in you in this series, but but you're known and you're valued here. And if you're single again, I mean, and maybe you've you kind of like pursued that, that world's design, um, and, and maybe you didn't pursue it, but it just kind of happened because there wasn't intentionality or whatever it was, and you find yourself in that single again, we want you to know that we value you as well. In fact, we want to help you. If you're in a phase where you're trying to recover from Maybe this new status of being single again. We want to help you in any way that we can. And so if you need counsel, if you need a divorce recovery group, we want to help you get plugged into that. If you've been through that season and you've, you've walked through that valley and you're on the other side of that, hey, we want, we want to utilize your experience to help other people in our church that need that help as well. And so come and see us and, and let us know that you're in that category. But all of us, all of us can find value in this series. And all of us should be able to, as people who are curious, maybe committed to Christ and to the kingdom of God, should be able to understand when the Bible talks about marriage or when people talk about marriage, what God's design is and intent for it is. And so we're going to take a look at that today. And, and there's one passage of Scripture that we're going to be hanging out in over the next three weeks, and we're going to be breaking down certain verses within that passage to kind of help us with the blueprint, if you will, for God's design when it comes to marriage. And so if you brought your Bibles or you've got a Bible app, I want to invite you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is written by this guy named Paul, uh, we say it often, he wrote the majority of the New Testament in the form of letters that he wrote to, to churches that he either directly or indirectly started. Now, he started these churches not because he grew up like a, as a Christ follower, but because he had an interaction with the resurrected Jesus. In fact, before that, he was a church persecutor, and then because he experienced the resurrected Jesus, he turned into a church planter, and so he's writing back to a number of churches that he directly or indirectly started. Some of those are the churches in the region of Ephesus, and to them, he writes about what it means to follow Jesus, to walk like Jesus, and he gets into some practical kind of conversations, and so for any of you here like, ah, we're doing a three-week series on marriage, well, just... Just hang on, like, Jesus, the, the, Jesus in the New Testament, like, this is how Jesus and, and then Paul kind of write when it comes to, to um, or teach how, when it comes to things of the kingdom of God. They, they spend some time hanging out about certain practical aspects of life, and so he does that. In Ephesians chapter 5, he talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. And so we're going to start in verse 21. This is really important for us to start in verse 21. In your Bibles, if you have them, there's probably an editor's mark after verse 21, going into verse 22, that says wives and husbands. Now, when Paul was writing this, he didn't pause between verse 21 and 22 and put wives and husbands. He didn't even have numbers, he just wrote in sentences. So he's writing in sentences, and then editors come along later, and they put numbers by them so that we can reference them easily, and then they put editor remarks on their wives and husbands. So I want you to hear verse 21. This is really important, especially for next week. Submitting to one another. Everybody say one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is why I want you to know 21, because of 22. And this can be used out of context and has been used out of context for a very long time. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. What was 21? Submit to one another. All right, very good. Just wanted to make sure we didn't lose you over the next two weeks, all right? Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Who has the harder responsibility here? Just saying. 26. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are all members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, maybe in your translation it says, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then you move on to children and parents. That's why we occasionally have a children and parents series. But husbands and wives for the next three weeks. This will be our conversation piece. And what Paul does in those few verses, he paints a picture for us of what the marriage relationship would look like and actually points to the purpose behind marriage so that we can understand that, hey, when we're choosing, like when we're choosing the way that we're going to design our marriage, maybe it's, maybe it's 10 years in the future. Laney, maybe it's 17 years in the future when you're 30. You know, I mean, whenever you're designing your marriage, like we get to choose what it's going to look like. And Paul started to outline the the blueprint for us. And he talks about a number of things that we're going to cover in this series. But in verse 31, he gives us the the blueprint. He gives us kind of the purpose behind it. And he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where the first created human being and human beings are in the garden. And then God speaks and says, "Let, let man Leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Therefore, the two shall become one. That's verse 24. Verse 25 is, and they were naked and knew no shame. That's bonus material for y'all. That's completely free. Actually, there's, there's something valuable in that. I would say, and this is kind of like an aside, it is bonus material. That the greatest, the greatest kind of fulfillment or experience that we can have in marriage is when we can be completely vulnerable with another human being and not be ashamed. And what a great picture of what a marriage relationship should look like when we could stand in in absolute transparency and vulnerability before another human being and feel no shame and not be afraid. This is, as we'll see, what God wants from us that we would be completely transparent and vulnerable before him, where we would not be ashamed and we would not be afraid because we understand the depth of his love for us. So Paul goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, second chapter. And he quotes this verse. And in quoting that verse, basically what, it, what he does is he kind of summarizes Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And if you want to understand a a better design for marriage than the way the world paints it, we go to the Word of God, and and it's always good to um, to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so we go back and we find out the context of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we have the account of creation. And so we've got the days that are listed out in Genesis 1, and then Genesis 2 is kind of a fuller breakdown of that. And what we discover in Genesis 1 about creation is that everything that is created has a complementary counterpart. Have you ever noticed that? Everything in Genesis 1 that was created had a complementary counterpart. So the the earth has the sky, the land has the water, the day has the night, the sun has the moon, and male has female. Everything has a complementary counterpart to it. And then Genesis 2 kind of breaks down how we get to that complementary counterpart when it comes to human beings. And so according to Genesis chapter 2, God formed man first and formed man from dirt. Uh, Women, this is why when we go outside and we come in, we stink, okay? Because we're just becoming one with nature where we were created from, right? It's inevitable that we're going to come in. The girls will hug me and they'll go, you stink. And I'm like, thank you. Just being who God created me to be, right? So we're formed from dirt, guys first. God breathes breath of life into him, and then creates other creatures. And, and God creates a parade, and the parade of all these creatures and animals come before Adam, the first created human being, and, and they're just marched, you know? And so you got dogs, and man, I bet Adam was like, that looks like a best friend right there. And then you got the cats that come by, and are like, of the devil. No, I'm just kidding, like, you know, like, don't send me hate email, we got two cats. Liz has two cats at our house. Anyway, so... You know, coming along, and, and look, I'm convinced. I don't know why God set up a parade of create, uh, creatures to come before Adam, but I'm convinced that it's because, men, we are just dense, right? I mean, we don't take hints very well. Like, we won't stop for directions. We don't read instructions, you know. Like, there had to be a parade where all these creatures are coming by, dogs and cats included, and, and, and Adam's probably thinking, oh, man, best friend, I'll tolerate you. You know, like, all these things, but, like, saying, hey, there's, there's none that are like me. None that are like me. I think it had to be evidence for Adam to come to a realization that there needed to be a complementary counterpart to him being created. And so after this whole parade comes along, God says there is no suitable helper for Adam. So you know the story, anesthesia, God's anesthesia, Adam goes to sleep, takes a half of him or a rib from him, whatever, you know, makes... Makes a woman, adds a little bit of sugar and spice and everything nice. And that makes her different. So she can go outside and smell beautiful when she comes in. Right? Right, men? Right. Yeah, okay. You just earned brownie points. You got to be quicker on that in the future, all right? So, and, and, then, and then she comes and there's celebration. Because after the parade of creatures come by and no complimentary counterpart, this woman is formed. And he celebrates, and he goes, whoa, man. Whoa, man. Woman. Right. (laughs) Celebration. And then God celebrates. God celebrates. God looks at male and female and says, after he's seen all that he created, it is very good. It's very good. And notice the first institution relationally that God created was not a fraternity for Adam. So, any of you middle-aged men you're looking to join a fraternity with Will Ferrell, look, look. The first institution was not a fraternity. It's not a sorority. It is a marriage relationship that was meant to be complementary, and counterpart, and companion. And there are a lot of companions that we can have in life. You, you can have a a best friend and a doll as a companion. Maybe a cat. They can be companions, but they're not a complimentary counterpart. And so when it comes to understanding the role of marriage and the spouse in the marriage, it's meant to be a complimentary counterpart to you. Now I want to point out this that just because God created male and female for each other as complementary counterpart to each other, he did not create them to complete one another. And so many of us, we've gotten to this place where our marriage looks a little bit more like the world's blueprint design because we're seeking another person to complete us, and we can't complete each other. Jerry Maguire had it wrong, so wrong. We can't complete each other. And and for some of you, you might be in a station and a status in life where you're just thinking, "Hey, if I could just get uh, in a relationship, or if I could just find that spouse, then then my life will be complete." And and that's not true. If you're single, if you're married, you'll only be complete in Christ. You'll only be complete in Christ. So complete that that Jesus was single. So complete that Paul, the author of the majority of the New Testament, the The one who planted and and helped plant the the first churches in the first century of, of Christianity. He was single and even wrote, hey, be single as I'm single. Because in Christ we're completed. And if you're seeking in a spouse or in a dating relationship, someone else to complete you, then you're headed for ruin. Only Christ can complete you. So if only Christ can complete you, but yet... Male and female were created as complementary counterparts, then, then what's the big deal? Why should we pursue it? Well here's why. Paul tells us, it's a great mystery. It's profound this marriage thing. Marriage is a mystery. And how many of you are going, yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a mystery. Not men don't, like, yeah. All right. yeah, d- don't. yeah. <laughs> Your wife's not a mystery. Marriage is a mystery. <laughs> marriage is a mystery. I took psychology of women at Georgia. I thought I was going to come out of that class like, I was more confused than ever. All right. <laughs> Marriage is a mystery. Complimentary, counterpart. Marriage is profound. It's a mystery. And here's why. Because it is a picture, it's a portrait of God's relationship with the world. Known through the relationship between Christ and the church. And while on earth, the first created institution is marriage, in eternity, the first institution is Christ and the church. So it took thousands of years between Genesis and and Jesus coming along and saying, hey, on profession of someone saying, hey, that, that Jesus, that I, Jesus, am the Son of God, I will build my church, the first moment where he mentions church, that those thousands of years that led up to that moment, we, we would say, okay, marriage came first, then this relationship between Christ and church came second, but, but in eternity, in God's timeline, when you step out of Kronos, our timeline, in God's timeline, Christ came first, and therefore the institution of, of the church and Christ, they came way before marriage. I mean, we can't even fathom how long before marriage it came. And so when Paul's writing and he's saying, hey, this is, a, this is a mystery and it's profound. What he's saying is that this was created in eternity, this relationship between Jesus and his followers. It's created before, like before we even created man in the marriage institution. And it is meant to be a picture of what God's love is for the world demonstrated in the relationship between Christ and church, where they're actually not two, but they're one, where Christ is the head of the church. And we, as his followers, we are the body of Jesus. And, and then to, to make it even more profound, Jesus, when he's talking about the kingdom of God and how God wants to reign and rule in our life through a personal relationship with him, he all the time like, uses marriage relationship as, like a, as an evidence for this relationship between us and God where he actually calls us his bride. And where he talks about this day that that will come where where he's going to come back for his bride. And I wish I had time to unpack all the contextual and historical aspects of that because it's a beautiful picture of what we can understand about God. But where the people of God are called the bride of Christ, where one day he's going to come back and we're going to have this marriage moment. And guys, even though you're macho and you're manly, hey, when you say yes to Jesus, you're part of this bride. We're a part of this bride called the church. And, and when we understand that marriage exists in the complementary counterpart of our spouse and this covenant relationship together, to give a picture to the world of God's love for us and what this relationship looks like, now all of a sudden it changes the way we carry out that covenant relationship and that commitment and that complementary counterpart to where we want to do everything that we can to say, hey, when you look at the picture of us, this is us. I should start a TV show. When you look at the picture of us, you're actually looking at a picture of God and his love for the world that's known in Christ and his love for the church. And if it's a picture, then that means there's power. There's power to fulfill the purpose of marriage that will bring God glory, that will produce in us what a relationship with Christ would produce in us, fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when you start to put that in the context of here's the purpose and this is what's produced When we've got this purpose in line, and we go, "Hey, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control," and you put that up against what the world would say is most experienced in marriage, where we make jokes about it, where we say, "Ah, it's so hard and difficult," and we put these two pictures side by side, and then we're able to choose which one will we choose: world's house or the Word of God. It's pretty obvious. So this morning, I simply want to ask you which one will you choose? Students? Singles? Single again? There's a good likelihood that you'll get married again. And those that are married, which one will you choose? I have to take it back to Chip and Joanna Gaines, but I will. They were recently interviewed, as they're being interviewed a lot right now as they conclude their series. Chip was recently interviewed, and he said, We've made a commitment. To put Christ first, a lifestyle our parents modeled for us very well. They showed us how to keep our marriage and our family centered on God. It was that Christ-centeredness, understanding that marriage was about Christ and the church, that actually led them to a discerning process, especially with Joanna, that led to a series of events that allowed them to gain national recognition with the show Fixer Upper. It's only when we put Christ first as singles or in our marriage that we ourselves will be able to be restored.
1: understand.